With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Talking Twilight Zone. How'd you do that? Do what? Light that match. You didn't strike it on anything, it just lit. Comfort, honey. First thing you've got to learn is not to imagine things. You open this door with the click of a mouse. Beyond it is a world of sound, thought, and opinion. In-depth discussions of television's greatest blending of science, superstition, imagination. And you're invited along. The next will be Talking Twilight Zone. Again, folks, my name is Lynn. I'm your host for Talking Twilight Zone, and I'd also like to welcome my terrific co-hosts, Bobby, Robert, and Dave. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Well, folks, this show... Hello. (laughs) Well, (laughs) folks, this show will be the last one that Bobby and I will be doing from Seattle, Washington. Oh, no, say it ain't so, please. Say it ain't so. We're moving back to the East Coast of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in exactly 12 days from today. And, Bobby, we'll have more about more to say about that later. But in the meantime, today's oh, episode... Oh, we got back you um, in the music there. If you hadn't recognized the background music, it's from the TV series called Angie, which was set in Philadelphia. Um, I remember that show. I, I didn't watch it, though. Angie Falco... Um, Starts a romance with a customer. Yeah, Donna Pasquale played her. And then we had Bradley right. who played the um, pediatrician, played by Robert Hayes. Doris Roberts yeah. played her mother. Of course, she always plays the mother anything, so. <laughs> I remember that show, but I never watched it. I remember when it was ran, on, though. Yeah, it ran two seasons, 79 and 80. Yeah, really? Oh, I'm surprised it went two seasons, hmm? And the opening had pictures of Independent Hall and other Philadelphia surrounds. That's right. That's right. Now I remember that. Yeah, that's right. There were a couple of few shows like that. There was one that McLean Stevenson was in, too, after he left MASH that was a, a Phil, uh, Hello, Larry. Larry, and I think yeah. that Yeah, I think that was set in Philly. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think that was set in Philadelphia, too. They had some scenes in that from uh, Independence Hall, City Hall, and stuff like that. So cool. Okay, well, today's episode is called The Last Rites of Jeff Myrtlebank, and here again is Robert with the opening clip. Edith, you know what one casket said to the other casket? He said, was that you, Coffin? <laughs> and now, Mr. Serling. I'm the mid-twenties, place the Midwest, the southernmost section of the Midwest. We were just witnessing a funeral. 
A funeral that didn't come off exactly as planned, due to a slight fallout from the Twilight Zone. Well, thank you, Robert. And to answer Ed's question, thank you. I, I didn't realize I sounded clearer today, but no, it's not a new microphone. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm glad I sound clear anyway. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> so, um, this episode, uh, of course, as Rod Sterling said, it takes place in the mid-1920s in a small rural town in the southernmost section of the Midwest. And a man named Jeff Myrtlebank he returns to life at his own funeral, just rises on up out of his coffin. And the townspeople believe that Jeff must be possessed by a demon, even though the town doctor declares it was more than likely a medical condition that imitated death, such as suspended animation. So that's sort of... Catatonic, thing. something like yes, that. Yes, catatonic type of thing, right. And Jeff seems normal enough, but yet he's changed. He's suddenly become a hard worker with exceptional strength, and he wants to uh, marry his longtime girlfriend, Comfort. And that's some name, Comfort. And she's loyal to him, but she's still a little unsure herself because uh, she, she's got her, her um, I don't know, she, she's just not, not too sure if he's really Jeff or not. And the townspeople, they want to run him out of town. So in the climax of the episode, Comfort visits Jeff to warn him about what the townspeople are going to do and to tell him that she does love him. And so he proposes to her, and just as she's about to respond to Jeff's proposal, a truckload of angry townspeople drive up to take on the demon that they believe Jeff is possessed by. And Myrtle Bank... I got that clip if you want me to go ahead and play it. Oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Gents, what I say? Jeff, we are here as a committee to speak for the community. Now, we've talked this all over, and we done come to the conclusion that Jeff Mutterbank is dead. We think you're a haint. That's right, a haint. We don't know who you are or where you come from, but we figure you stole Jeff's body. We don't even like you as a neighbor, so we're asking you to move out. Move out, you hear? What do you say, Jeff? Well, I think that depends on Miss Comfort Gatewood. I just asked her a question, and she ain't answered it yet. I reckon I'm with you no matter where we have to go. And you stand behind me, then. Gents, my wife-to-be and me, now, we was born and raised in this county. We like it. And we don't aim to raise our kids anyplace else. Now, you Now, wait a minute now. I heard you out. Let him speak. We're going to stay. And that means just two things. One, if you're wrong about me, then you ain't got nothing to worry about. Because that means I'm just a poor old country boy by the name of Jeff Myrtlebank. But on the other hand, if you're right about me, then you better start treating me pretty nice. Because you just don't know all the kind of trouble I can cause you. I might wave my right hand and bring a whole grove of locusts down on your crops. Then I might wave my left hand and drop all your wells. Then I might snap my fingers and burn a barn or two. And then some morning, if I get up and I feel exceptionally ornery, I might have the hawks come down and steal your chickens. Yes, sir. You folks better start treating me and mine real nice. Well, that's a different picture, Jeff, with you aiming to mad comfort. We sure ain't wanting to hurt her none. Yes, sir. Sure it'd be wrong to hurt her trying to get at somebody else when you fix it on marrying her, Jeff. 
right away, I reckon. Well, let us know about it, boy. We'll picnic that day. Mm-mm-mm. Yes, quite an inspired speech he makes there. And uh, then they they do. They agree to back off. Well, because of fear, mainly, as you can tell. And, well, they say it's because of their fondness for comfort, and I'm sure they are very fond of comfort. But, uh, you know, they even say they're going to attend the wedding. You know, but he scared the hell out of them. So after they leave, the interesting interesting scene at the end, Jeff pulls out a pipe and spontaneously lights a match. And Comfort looks at him and she says, well, uh, Jeff, how did you light that match? You didn't even strike it on nothing. And he laughs and he says, oh, Comfort, you've got to stop imagining things. And he puts his arm around her shoulders and he walks away with her. And in his closing narration, Rod Sterling says that Comfort and Jeff are still alive today, which, of course, that was back in 1962, and bore a son who grew up to be a shrewd politician and a U.S. senator. And Sterling also says that the son is suspected to have earned his education in the Twilight Zone. So once it's again, Damien, the, look out! Damien, that's right. <laughs> Damien, the omen. <laughs> that's right. That's that's where Damien came in. That would be just about the right time. <laughs> so once again, in season three, Twilight Zone visits the South, and this time the trip was a bit more successful than the last few. Jeff Myrtlebank, a tall, strapping young man seemed to succumb to an illness three days prior to his funeral, rises from his coffin, and uh, the minister's given the eulogy, scares the hell out of everybody. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like the uh, doctor's uh, idea of why it happened. Ipso suspendo animation. <laughs> a very interesting and ridiculous diagnosis from Petticoat Junction's Uncle Joe. Uh, well, whatever the reason... <laughs> This virile young man. And this, of course, this virile young man. He's living and breathing. He's walking around again, and everybody's just spooked out. They're spooked out of their minds, including his own parents, including Comfort, who's supposed to be a sweetheart. And he tries to convince everybody he's the same guy he's always been, but they're a hard sell. And she can't make up a Comfort. She can't make up her mind. You know, she still wants to marry him. Comfort's brother wants to beat the crap oh, out comfort. of him. Flip a coin and decide. Come on. Yeah, seriously. Comfort. What a name, Comfort. And his brother wants to beat the crap out. Her brother wants to beat the crap out of him. She thinks he thinks Jeff's a menace. And the town folk, they want to form a posse to run him out of town. He confronts them. He lets them know. You know. He he just tells them, Yeah, you don't have to worry about me if uh, you're wrong, but if you're right, I will, you know, wreak havoc on your lives. You know. And uh, so, you know, they give up. They they just walk off very nicely, say, oh, we'll plan a nice celebration for them. But, you know, I'm going to stay right here now. I am not a fan of James Best. Don't ask me why. I don't know. All I know is I can only say I don't care for the guy. I'm sure everyone reading this or, um, you know, or I'm sorry, not reading this, listening to this, everybody listening to this can uh, name one or more actors, actresses that just don't care for. Okay? So I, I don't care for James Best. Um, he always plays a doofus. He always plays like like the country, the dumb country bumpkin. Uh, yeah, yeah. He plays he play Johnny Rob. <laughs> he, he always plays a doof, doesn't he? Plays like like this this wacky hillbilly country bumpkin. I don't know. Just don't like the guy. He went on to that. Um, you go and, where the money's at, Lynn. You go where the money's at. 
Exactly. Well, his most memorable role, I guess, was uh, he played the sheriff, Sheriff Roscoe Coltrane on uh, Dukes of Hazzard. He was a bumbling idiot there, too, didn't he? Wasn't he a bum? Hey, yeah. Hey, little buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and he played, he played a complete idiot there. He's been in a total of tw- three Twilight Zone episodes. He plays the same type of character in all of the Twilight Zone episodes, a complete dope. I mean, really, like a, just just a dopey country dumbass. But uh, to be fair, he did okay in this episode. He played the the role the way he was supposed to. So I guess he's good at playing a dumb country bumpkin. Uh, so, but I'm just not a fan of his. Sherry Jackson, she was fine as comfort. Uh, you know, she's still around at the age of, I guess, 70, 71 or something like that. And she's had a pretty successful acting career. Of course, there was a little bit of comedy thrown into this episode. I'm not a proponent of the comedic Twilight Zones, but this one just had a small amount, so I didn't get too upset about it. And also, most people would not notice this, but if you look carefully at the row of mailboxes when they're standing out by the fence at the end, the one mailbox at the very end says has M. Pittman painted on it. And that refers to Montgomery Pittman, the writer and director of the story. That was a little inside joke in the episode. But this wasn't a clue. Also, Comfort's name, Southern Comfort. Southern Comfort. Southern Comfort. That's very good. I didn't even think about that. Southern Comfort. Now, if we're That's doing perfect. a Talking Twilight Zone game, everybody have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... Uh, Sherry Jackson was Montgomery Pitton's stepdaughter, so so she was in that for a reason. She was Montgomery's stepdaughter. But th- look, this wasn't a classic by any means, and it had a little too much conversation at times. But I'd wa- I mean, I'd watch it again. In fact, I watched it numerous times during marathons and me TV viewings, etc. So I give it a two rating for average, but nothing spectacular. And I'm never crazy about anything with James Best. So you go ahead, Robert. Tell me what you thought. Yeah, I thought I heard company. Howdy there. Well, I really like James Best. I hadn't really had no problem as, as much as you have. Well, you know, you hate him like I, I don't hate him. him. I don't hate him. I'm just not a fan. Well, you mean you're not a fan of him like I'm not a fan of Shelley Bergen either. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, Shelley Bergen. Well, who is? <laughs> I mean, who is? <laughs> Uh, that one, I think people, you have a common consensus. People, people, people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think Best is a, a better step up than uh, mm, Shelley is. I'll agree with honest. that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, as Glenn says, you know, he's best known for Zeus of Hazard. He's also made some appearances on Andy Griffith Show, and I brought up that um, one interview that um, – they did with him um, where he talked about the, you know, they asked him if he could play a guitar and he, he kind of lied to get the role to get on the Andy Griffith show and came time to ask him to play. He said he didn't know a lick of notes and they said, well, you didn't ask me if I knew how to play guitar. You just asked if I had guitar. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, well, he's um, a little clever. Jerry, a little clever. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, he, he still, Alive, he owns his own production company with his wife, so um, they um, seem to have a happy life. But unfortunately, this story is not that great. And the one thing is the doctor. I mean, you can't blame the doctor for his medical knowledge. You know, the people seem to be backwards, hillbilly people. So the doctor was an old salt bone country doctor, very limited on his medical knowledge. Because I do believe... um, 
isn't this set in the 30s or something like that? 1930s, oh, it's 20s. 40s. Is it 20s? 20s? Okay. Yeah, because the car, um, I'm surprised they were even able to have a car there. But, but anyway, the um, Jeff's coming back to life. Uh, could have been easily explained as himself being canatotic. And, you know, the doctor had another name for it because they didn't know what to call something like that. You know, this is something that goes back in time where doctors cannot diagnose it. Um, Canatonic gives off a state of death and therefore can be misdiagnosed in the old days. And if you had the money, of course, um, way back, if we remember the Edgar Allan Poe, um, uh, the oblong box, some coffins mm -hmm. were equipped with a flag for the person inside to single someone above if they came back to life. So um, I think um, if you had the money and you could afford to do something like that, um, some people did because, I mean, even back then, you know, Cantonic, you know, even though they didn't know how to call it, it expanded all the way back to, you know, 1500s, 1600s, wherever around that time. You know, we had this word called doppelganger where it kind of explains a copy of a person, but not the exact person himself. So like maybe, mirror image. Yeah, so maybe that this wasn't the original Jeff Myrtle Bank, that maybe this was a doppelganger of him, or maybe a spirit did inhabit his body to where um, he was able to be given powers. You know, there's um, a movie called The Dead Zone where um, the... Um, Johnny in the movie um, who got into an automobile crash and then wakes up in the hospital and can see the future, you know, those types of things through accidents right. or, or in this case, Jeff's And it became a TV show also. Yep. I think, wasn't mm -hmm. it four or five seasons it ran with um, Michael Anthony Hall, something like that? Yep. Yep. Sounds so, like, yeah. We get the ending course. Jeff gives his neighbors a warning, and you've heard the clip, and Len talk about it as well. Um, I'll tell you what, Comfort is a blonde, not too bright, and, you know, <laughs> especially the scene that I played at the beginning of the show where um, she asked about the match light up. So, you know, he, uh, I think um, Jeff's got himself a, a bargain with um, <laughs> Comfort there. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. I guess he's happy. So. <laughs> and we don't even know that yet. <laughs> we don't even know baby, well, she gives a baby, which turns out the the hell demon senator. So there you go. Oh, it's not too bad. One Felix, of the things I, Felix gives it a two. Felix said he gives it a two. Yeah, but uh, with the next episode coming up, which is far better than this one, believe me. Mm -hmm. Shot. This one, I kind of give a 1.5 out of 5. Mm. I kind of say that this is the prequel to Jezebel, which is in the next season. Yeah. We have him back again, but he plays a different character, and this time Anne Francis is in it, and she's the um, the witch or the the apprentice witch, and so to Yeah, say. the witch, yeah. yeah. Well, James Best was in the grave. He played Johnny Robb. Johnny Robbie played a dumb, a dumb bumpkin in that, too. Well, he was really, he really played a dumbass in that one. <laughs> Remember uh, that? Remember the great where Johnny Rob? Yeah, but I would rather have 22 minutes of this than 51 of that. So. You're right. I'll agree with you there. 
I'll agree with you there. It felt like a Beverly Hills episode without the Clampets <laughs> and the comedy, or maybe Bon Paul Kettle uh, without the kettles in it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, like I said, 1.5 out of 5. All right. I'll pass it on to Bobby. Bobby? Oh, do I really have to? <laughs> well, you can get your doppelganger uh, to do it for you, but uh, mm, now we boy. know that's really you. Are you sure you're not a doppelganger, Bob? I'm not sure. Better check oh, by the way, before you move, you know. I know. <laughs> by the way, I want to welcome guest. I want to welcome guest number eight. Number eight. Hello, guest hey. number eight. Thanks for Hello. joining us. Let me just say this: uh, if uh, Jeff Merle, if this had been uh, taking place uh, around today's time, and Jeff Merlebank had uh, awakened in his coffin and seen this episode playing on the screen in front of him. He would have gotten back in the coffin and put the top over his head because anything to avoid this, it's that bad. It's absolutely dreadful. And uh, Robert stole my thunder because I was going to mention the Beverly Hillbillies. Who would have imagined? Who would have imagined that the Beverly Hillbillies, without any humor in it, would be so absolutely deadly? If only uh, Jethro and uh, Greeny had been in it, there might have been a couple of laughs. But as it is. It's absolutely nothing. I'm not going to pretend to have anything to say about this because I don't. And there's just there's nothing to talk about in it because nothing happens. I, the first time uh, Lynn and I watched it together recently, I fell asleep completely. And so today I had to watch it again with her. And in order to get through it, I had to sit on the edge of my seat, not because I was fascinated, but because I had to be as uncomfortable as possible in order to stay awake. And even that way, I was starting to keel over. So it's just absolutely dreadful. Uh, and however, you know what, Bobby? The review yeah. we did for the GIF was worse even than this. Oh, well, we haven't gotten to that yet. Uh, I'll have plenty to say about that. <laughs> but the thing about it is, as, as I mentioned on every show, I may not like this, but the people over at IMDb do, do like it. And it just becomes more absurd every time I go over there to check an episode. Apparently, there is nothing wrong with any episode. I've yet to find one they don't like. But I did pick out one review from somebody over there. There's only eight of them, and one one of them, and I just want to quote a couple of lines out of his review to show you what the thinking is over there. He writes, and this is from him, not from me, a great example of one of the best shows ever, at least one of the best written. While maybe not the best episode, this is my personal favorite. The acting is good, the direction's fast-paced, a great example of small-town paranoia and black humor. Holds up well today. Love the ending. I will agree with one thing. I love the ending, too, because it meant it was finally over. So I will agree with that part of it. But what gets to me, I love the people who write over there and the way they write. He writes, he says one thing, and then he immediately contradicts himself <laughs> in the second line. A great example of one of the best shows ever, at least one of the best written, while maybe not the best episode, this is my personal favorite. So it is one of the best, but it's not the best. So of course, Bobby Ed know. said, "Bobby Ed said clearly, clearly that person has brain damage." <laughs> well, you'd have to to watch this story and actually enjoy We're it from the backwoods somewhere. But yeah. it's absolutely miserable, and I agree. I've never liked James Best either, and that's because <laughs> he really has always been very one-dimensional. But as Robert just uh, mentioned, you go where the money is. And for him, that is where the money is. He's still alive today at 86, believe it or not. I have no idea what he looks like. He's 86 years old. Oh, his old. picture's over. A recent picture of him is on IMDb. Oh, really? He's okay, all white hair. Yeah, all white hair and everything. The thing about it is that not only is he still living, he's still working. 
he has parts in two movies, one coming out later this year and one coming out in 2013, where presumably he's playing somebody's great-grandfather, I suppose. And uh, IMDb lists 183 different appearances in movies and TV shows. So it's hard to criticize that if you, you know, if you set out to be a character actor and you just want to keep working, this is the way to do it. Robert was right. Even, even if you're, yeah, even if you're stereotyped, well, as long as you keep people, getting well, roles, who cares? Some mm-hmm. people don't care if they're stereotyped because you just yeah. want to make a living. If you want to make a living as an actor and you do that well enough, and I have to admit he does do it very well, uh, then that's you go with that, and that's what he has done. But generally, in everything I've ever seen him in, mm-hmm. I, 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 I know what he did in The Dukes of Hazzard and watched The Dukes of Hazzard, or I wouldn't be coherent today at all, and I wouldn't be able to speak at all, but I stayed away from that show. But the thing is that he's, he's always playing those kind of parts, and it just is, uh, is true. I do agree with what was just, I think Robert just said, I think you were talking about Jezebel, that hour-long thing. Yeah, You're right, yeah. I'd rather sit through this 12 times than even sit through that once. That is absolutely unbearable. Ed just read that he thought that James Best was dead. <laughs> I thought so, too. But, I mean, yeah. uh, he's all, His hair's all white. His hair's all white. There's a picture of him on IMDb, a recent picture. He's 86, yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. And all I can say is, you know, if you want to keep working long past retirement age, this is the way to do it. Because he's had, he's had such a career that, you know, casting directors will look at that and go, Oh, yeah, we need an idiot and a country bumpkin. Now, is James Best still alive? Yeah, he is. Okay, let's get him. So he'll probably work until the day he dies. I don't doubt it at all. But as for the story itself, I just, I'm sorry. I just I can't stand it. I'm always amazed, like I am every time we go through this, that the Twilight Zone can be so good and so bad from week to week. It is hard to believe. Robert just mentioned the fact that, you know, we're coming up on one of the all-time classics when we get back on the air uh, in November. And uh, and yet this comes right before it. I have no idea why, but I will say this. It was still better than TV is today because I'd rather have a TV series that was horrible one week and fabulous the next week than what we have today, which is horrible every single week. So I'll take that any time. But it is quite strange that uh, Rod Serling, he, you know, even in the episodes he didn't write, thankfully he didn't write this one, uh, uh, even lets it go, even approves it for his show. I just don't imagine uh, what he was thinking. And I said the same thing when we get to the to the gift, which we recently reviewed on our message on our board. Uh, which at my lurch um, soundbite, I'd be playing that right now. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, yes, tell me about <laughs> it. And it's just it's remarkable. You would think that a man that talented and that good would look at it and go, you know what, this is my show, and I really don't think that uh, this is going to fascinate people. But some people do like it. All I know is, I'm going to go in later today and do what I've never done in, in our polls at the group. You are a, you can go back and change your rating. I'm there right uh, now. Anytime, as long as the polls are still open. And I gave it a one. I have no idea why. But I read the reviews that were posted back when we did it, and uh, one of our members, Paul, gave it a zero. And I wouldn't, wouldn't want anybody to give something a zero and not have me do it. So I'm going to take my rating from one down to zero because I think you don't want Paul Paul to be alone. So yeah, yeah. because I'm well known as hating everything, so I don't I don't want to end. Uh, I don't want you know, I don't want to leave Seattle with that uh, that hanging over my head. So uh, I'll you don't hate everything. You you there's a lot that you like. And 
<laughs> and uh, well, I came around on the trade-ins. Remember, I said that it wasn't. Uh, I didn't. I had problems with it, but in the end, I did like it after all. Yeah, at, least you ain't, at least you ain't green and living up in a mountain there with a little dog. Yeah. And I must stop <laughs> Christmas from coming. <laughs> so that that you've is given, my... you've given a lot of episodes of five. Oh, I know. Uh, I'll give it a well. Yeah. Well, this person who posts IMDb uh, apparently he thinks that this is as good as Time Enough at Last. So. Oh, give me a break. Well, he didn't oh, say that. No, he didn't say that specifically, but he did say it's one of the best ever, maybe the best. That's a neat one. If he didn't say that, that means I it's better think... than that, and better than the serve man, better than everything. What can I say? But you know what? If you go on IMDb and you look up, if you were to look up all 100 and, uh, what is it, uh, 20 episodes, how many? 158. 158. 156. If you were to look up all 156 episodes, there's always somebody in there that says every episode has somebody oh, says that's my favorite. Oh, I Who agree. was the oh, King Nine must not return? One of the worst episodes of the series. Somebody in there said it was the best episode of the entire series. But see, I don't. I don't think that way. I have a different opinion about that. If you have a really great episode, that, uh, episode series that's a classic that you personally like or that many people remember for decades afterwards, yeah. that puts more pressure on it to be good, not less. I can't look yeah. at it and say, oh, well, it's a great series, so I'll let this one go. I don't act that way at all. If you really want to be remembered that way, you've got to be good most of the time, if not all of the time. Not classic, but at least bearable, okay? Not classic, right. but at least bearable. But even the worst episodes, you know, the very, some of the very worst episodes, there's always oh, someone right. that says, that's my favorite. That's the best one of the series. There's oh. always someone that loves it. Oh, absolutely. And, with that, and the problem with that is that when you're, when you're looking at something overall and you're trying to pick the best thing out, you can't like everything, or you never come to a consensus about what's good. For give an example, on cable TV, for those people who have the Food Channel, they have many shows on there, and they have a new one on right now, which people travel around the country, go to different restaurants, try to find the best hamburger, the best hot dog, this, that, and the other. And there's a new show right on there, or on there right now, uh, these days, that uh, in which a man is traveling across the country trying to find the best hamburger in America. But everywhere he goes, he announces that that's the best hamburger he's ever had. Well, then what do I take from that? By the time the series is over, I get nothing because everything he has is fabulous. So I think you've got to really be critical. When you're really trying to find out what the best is, you've got to really come down hard on the bad ones because that makes the good ones look even better. All right, that's it for me. I'll give it a zero, and like I said, I'll change my, my rating because I think it deserves it. All right, Lynn, back to you. <laughs> okay, Dave. Why do I get the feeling that He's happy when he gets one of you. You sound so chirpy when you say that, Bobby. It's great. Oh, really? Okay. Um, I'm glad you're joining. Uh, All right. Yeah. No, um, I, I haven't really got a rating for something because I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch this. I've only got very dim memories of it. But, um, oh, you're um, lucky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it seems as though it's very much a sort of uh, churn out another episode. Um, and I, I certainly go with Lynn. Uh, there's something about the main actor, James Best, that uh, didn't appeal to me. Um, I don't know what it was. Uh, we had a similar situation a while back, Lynn, where we had um, uh, the one where the chap was uh, walking his dog and, uh, you know, the gatekeeper and he's... He, he the hunt. Into the hell. Hunt. Yeah, the yeah. And um, there was a strange man that he talked to, the, I don't know who's gay, but then... Yeah. Hello, Hello neighbor, neighbor Simpson. Simpson. Yeah. Hello, neighbor yeah. Simpson. Uh, and uh, I couldn't take him. But, and there are some actors like that that uh, 
that I find difficult. Although I think he probably found his niche uh, when he was playing the uh, the sheriff in that comedy one, because I was thinking that as a kids' program anyway. Um, just uh, a couple of things to mention. Um, one thing about the series and uh, reading uh, from the wiki page, the link I put into the show notes for people who, who want to chat back with them is um, uh, the thing that um, that apparently in the closing narration, which I, I don't remember, Rod Sterling says this, and um, let me read it, and then I'll make a comment about it. Uh, Rod Sterling says that Comfort and Jeff are still alive and bore a son who grew up to become a shrewd politician, politician and U.S. senator. Sterling says that the son is suspected to have earned his education in the Twilight Zone. Now, I'm wondering whether that's uh, a political point coming out there. I'm wondering whether actually Rod Sterling's making a very veiled uh, comment that all politicians are spawns of the devil. Uh, in terms of the fact, <laughs> but, uh, isn't that sometimes like that in Parliament, there, Dave? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it just seems that you know. I mean, we, uh, the indication is uh, from everyone, yeah, that uh, this chap has been, uh, uh, the body has been taken over by a malevolent spirit of some sort, and if they have a child, uh, I'm just wondering whether he was. I mean, I don't know whether Rod Sterling has. I mean, he certainly makes in some of the past episodes, uh, what he would term, I suppose, moralistic or whatever points. I'm just wondering whether well, that was... Oh, he didn't wanna, write it, of course. I was going to say, if you want to um, compare to this, you can compare it to the whole truth um, with right. the um, car, yeah. Uh, and that, before I go on to so the other thing I was going to talk about, just makes me maybe ask a question of the room. If Rod Sterling doesn't write an episode... Do you think he still writes his closing uh, statement, or do you think it, that is? Uh, does he take those words from the person who's written the episode itself? I mean, oh, I think he does. Feel, he he wrote all his monologues. Yeah. Right, thank he you wrote every single one of his monologues. So, so yeah. then my point, therefore, then oh. stands that it wasn't the fact that it was the writer that was making that point. If if he's the one that made that point, then 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 even more to me, it seems as though he was sort of, uh, you know, uh, tongue-in-cheek or maybe uh, in a veiled way so it gets past the censors, saying that well, basically, Dave, don't, don't trust politicians. <laughs> you know, you know a good comparison, Dave, is what the Doctor Who series going on right now with Moffat. Because, you know, even though there's different writers besides Moffat himself, he does have a kind of an input in the stories that the other writers write. I think that Rod had the same type of input with The Twilight Zone with the other writers. All producers um, do. Um, uh, the only thing I want to just say is that while we've been talking, I've been looking up a little bit about the, the actress, the lady who played Comfort, uh, Sherry Jackson, who was uh, watched only about... Uh, well, she's getting on towards 30 here, but I mean, she she was a child actress and uh, and she also, uh, I'm sure Robert would have said, I can't remember what he did say, um, she was in a Star Trek epi- episode, uh, What a Little Girl's Made of, where she actually plays an android, uh, which is only 24, that's the original Star Trek. If you go to her, she's got her own website, uh, sherryjackson.net, and oh, you can... Really? Uh, yeah, you can clip on little YouTube clips that that she's got of her there. Uh, she's hmm. 70 years old, never married. The man she was uh, attached to 
died after a five-year relationship. But interestingly, no looking ar- looking around, uh, she was also uh, considered to be at one point uh, a girlfriend of Elvis Presley. Uh, widely reported that Sherry dated Elvis Presley around the year 1960 uh, when she was only 18 years old. That wouldn't surprise me. I mean, El- uh, every, uh, they all dated Elvis. Elvis dated everybody. <laughs> there's a, there's a, no, there's a newspaper article about it there and so on. And uh, But she said she wasn't... Yeah, yeah. And, of course, uh, you know, she has a Hollywood... But she she never seems to have married. And um, there's also another thing there, some photographs of her in uh, Lost in Space, where she appeared in uh, in that as well. So... Uh, and she was in quite a few cowboy films. Yeah, she was uh, she play- stepdaughter. right. Uh, she played John Wayne's daughter in another film, and she's been in Gunsmoke and played with Clint Eastwood and lot. So she was obviously, a, a, you know, a real beauty and one of the uh, sort of young up and coming stars of her time. But really, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because I haven't got a lot to say about the episode itself, and I always like to just uh, have a look like. We all sometimes are surprised that there'll be. You'll see an episode, and uh, you know the person who's the oldest one in the episode is still alive, age ninety-seven, uh, and somebody else <laughs> might have. Um, a lot of them died of cancer, young, you know, in the forties, fifties, and sixties. Um, I noticed that with the yeah. celebrity today, a lot of them are dying from cancer. It's kind of strange. Uh, well, that I suppose it's. Um, we're about 30 to 40 years from when cigarettes started to have in filter tips. So, I mean, the yeah. the, the people that smoke later than that hopefully have been protected a little bit. But the, these we're talking about people that uh, were smoking quite strong, high-tar cigarettes with no filters and maybe, well, I, I don't, like I don't want to say anything that's litigant, yeah, litig- but I think no, it's fairly well proven the connection. They in the 60s. Did everybody smoke the filtered ones, though? Um, well, the pipes—they had filters for the handles of the pipes. I didn't know when those. No, came I, I, I remember when my mother used to smoke, and um, I think although I was past, they had to sell filters. But I think quite a few of her friends—they they bought them with filters because they have filters on. First thing they do is tear the filter off the end and light that end. I remember seeing that when I was a kid. I, I remember seeing people do that, tearing yeah. the filter off. Yeah. Anyway, not um, like no, as I say, not a lot to say. Um, it's probably a fairly forgettable uh, A4 page story, um, mm. but um, there's always something interesting with these. There's always something you can go. Whether that, whether the fact that you go looking for interesting things off the screen is an indication that the episode itself wasn't uh, movie gold or TV gold. Right. Uh, so I'm not too sure I should be actually making, giving a rating, but I, I would probably find it hard to give it more than a two out of five. Mm-hmm. That's well, me. that's okay. Okay. How about you, Rick? Uh, well, everything uh, I wanted to say has been said already. I really can't. Uh, I don't have anything against the, the lead actor, really. Although, uh, um, um, you know, a lot of actors do that. I mean, all right, don't get me wrong. John Wayne was a good actor. But if you really looked at everything he's done, it's basically the same character. Just True. different names. Never right. mind different names, Rick. Well, he nearly always played a guy called Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. B movies back then in the forties, thirties, and forties before he really got popular. I know yeah. what you yeah. mean. 
Uh-huh. He's actually quite good in Stagecoach. I thought he was quite good in his first film. Oh, no, I'm not saying he was a bad actor. I'm just saying that if you really looked and yeah. saw every movie, like, back-to-back, you'd say, hey, he's playing the same character. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> you know, it's the same character. And mm-hmm. it's yeah. true, okay? Yeah. It's, it's just that some actors can't do dialogues or 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 different things. It doesn't mean that they're like I said. You know, I I, I like uh, Yo, Wayne. Adrian. <laughs> hey, look! Not every not not every actor can be Charlton Heston. Come with me if you want to. actor of all time. Or Wally Cox. Or Wally Cox, right? Oh Wally Cox yes, season the five. The two greatest actors of all time. <laughs> uh, any, anyway, uh, I I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dave, I'm gonna get you. No, no, Rick, I'm gonna get you for that. <laughs> no, Dave is innocent. I'm gonna get coming out to you, Dave. You. <laughs> Don't answer both of you. I mean. <laughs> any, anyway, uh, I'd give Doesn't it. Make uh, any real like, jokes at all. Like everybody else, I'll give it a two. All right, you give it a two. And poor Ed, Ed, aren't you able to get in today to the phone? I don't know because Ed Ed's here, but he's he's not. Uh, he hasn't called in. Right now, I'm at the site here, and before Bobby changes his rating, because I know he's eagerly at the site too, and he's getting ready to press that reboot <laughs> button. What you going to you going to call him out on something? <laughs> No, I just basically bringing up what the ratings were from our group. Um, uh, he was among four people that rated a one. I guess it'll be three now when Bobby joins Paul down to zero there. And I kind of split the difference, did a one and a half. I was the only one that voted that way. We have three people for two, which was including. I gave it the, a two, yeah. Yeah. Two and a half, <laughs> Helen gave that one, and then three, um, we had one person for that. So no fours or five, which. <laughs> Uh, not shocked by, but <clears throat> there you are. <laughs> now, Ed is going to be on in a second. He's, he wants to make a couple of comments. He was having some technical problems. So we're going to wait for him because he will be on in a moment. And in the meantime, um, I just want to you do some impressions. Um, what, <laughs> this is my impression of... <laughs> I just wanted to say one more thing that that um, Robert, you are going to do commentaries, right? While we're away for a couple of weeks. Yeah, Lynn, I got um, it's a good life. Will be in a couple of weeks, so. And then you'll um, pick another. You'll pick the other one that you want to do. Yeah, after I air that one, the um, the, the time of where we usually do the show. Um, I will stick the commentary in there, so just that way it won't be an empty feed for people. So be sure to oh, check out the commentaries and have a good listen to that. Awesome. Well, while we're waiting for Ed, I am going to turn this over to Bobby, who does have some things to say. Oh, Bobby, I was to go last. Oh, I you are going to go last. Well, you're going to go, but we're waiting for Ed. So Ed's going to say something after you're done. He wants to make his comment on the episode. But while we're oh. waiting for him, you go okay. ahead. Well, thank you, Lynn. I would just like to remind our listeners that because we are preparing to leave the Twilight Zone West Coast, otherwise known 
at Seattle, Washington in just 12 days, and we'll be offline at least until the beginning of November. This program, other than the commentaries that Robert is planning to do, will be off as well, at least in the form it's presented in right at the moment, until Saturday, November 17th, when we will return to the air from the Philadelphia area to discuss a Twilight Zone classic that gets just about universal acclaim in both our viewer poll and even at IMDb, where it gets a 9.2 rating and just about everywhere else, and that is, of course, to serve man a great way to restart our renewed lives on the East Coast. In conclusion, I do think I would be remiss if I did not say a few final words about Seattle, where I personally have served a five-and-a-half-year sentence, and Lynn has served a two-and-a-half-year sentence. I will pass on trashing this city since people who were born here do claim to love it, something that Lynn and I will never understand in favor of making, well, what amounts to sort of a public service announcement, and that is, if on the day you die you are given the opportunity to spend eternity in either hell or in Seattle, go to hell, and you will never regret it, since to quote the title of an old Twilight Zone episode, although Seattle might be a nice place to visit, and even that is debatable, in the end this does turn out to be the other place after all. And trust us, you wouldn't want to stay here. In the end, for us, all bad things must come to an end, even this. So, goodbye, Seattle. Goodbye. We'll see you all again in, a, in about five weeks from our new home in Philly. After, that is, we attend the Welcome Home Parade that was being thrown uh, for us in the city. And after, we get the keys to the city from the mayor. See you later. Bye-bye. Well, here is, here is to Lynn and Bobby. Congratulations. And here we go. Yes, they're moving out. They're getting ready to load the truck. They're getting ready to go down the road. So you guys are driving, aren't you? Our way yeah. Oh, are you we're taking, taking a train, a man. Oh, are you going to take the train? Oh, no, a moving van's taking our truck, our stuff, but we're, we're taking the train, yeah. And we've got Ed here. Finally, Ed. Yay! I made it. Yay! All right. Yay. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't. Am I the only person who has that much trouble getting on? I, I don't know what it is. No. I, I call up, uh, I call up on, on Skype usually, and I try to dial in the, uh, the call number and, or the call ID, and for some reason it doesn't take it. I mean, it, it just completely. You didn't hear the brilliant thing I had to say? i got to say it all over again? Oh, my God. Oh, no, no. I got, I got to hear more. <laughs> no, he can I got hear to, you. Yeah, I oh, can okay. hear you. I, I got it. I always, he, he I was hear you just on the phone. Yeah, no, I did hear. I, I always enjoy your commentaries, no matter what the topic is. <laughs> I got to, I got to say, Bobby, I do enjoy your commentaries. But anyway, thank you. Um, and no, no problem. Um, and I, I hope so you uh, have I hope, Skype. I have, you have Skype. Skype. Yeah. You're not the only. You're not the only. I have Skype too. I mean, you're not the only one. A lot of times we okay. have trouble. It's really weird. So anyway, so so <laughs> speaking of speaking of Bobby's commentary. Um, I like I like that death is preferable to this episode. That I was that was fun. <laughs> Rather die. But he than came watch back this. to life though. That's the scary part of it. Though. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, anyway. I did. I yeah. I'm 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 sorry. I'm late here, guys. But um, I did. I I I don't like this episode at all. I really right. didn't. I, no sir. Really, you didn't like it. You didn't like no, it. No, <laughs> no sir. Didn't like it. No. 
<laughs> didn't like it at all. Like it at all. No, definitely not like either. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Daphne didn't uh, like it either. No. This was well, not, no, didn't yeah. did, didn't uh, the bark come over? I heard oh, her. There we yeah, go. There that she goes. goes. <laughs> there she goes. <laughs> go ahead, Ed. Okay, so let's see. What didn't I like about this episode? Probably come here, hun. We'll almost, right now. almost, almost everything. The list is so long, but I won't go on and on. Um, I, I can't, you know, I can't stand the neighbors, uh, the, the spooked out neighbors that got annoying. I mean, they had in the end, of course, they were right, but it was just the the unreasonable fear that Jeff was what he ended up being. You know, I, I don't know the bits of humor that were thrown in that didn't really work. Um, James Best in his half smirk. I hate that smirk he does. You know, like when yeah, he's trying yeah, to be yeah, dramatic. Yeah. You know, yeah. like he, he think I don't know if he, he thinks that that helps with the uh, uh, the drama of his line and the delivery, but it just makes me cringe every time he does it. Um, mm-hmm. And he's so melodramatic. And I know, you know, we debated this last last show about the effect that you know acting has and the enjoyability of an episode. But I think this is one of those for me. If they had simply recast some uh, cast somebody else. Besides James Best as as Jeff Myrtlebank, I think it would have improved the episode a lot. And I don't know, he just irritates the crud out of me. But um, it makes me wonder why Rod Serling though recast the same actors like like this in numerous episodes. I and mean, does anyone have any insight on why he did that? Because he's not the only one he did that with. Well, he did it with a lot of. I mean, there were a lot of actors that he like Burgess Meredith and James Best and. Who else? Uh, oh, Cyril Delavanti. I think he, he had a, a strong fondness for a lot of actors. And he became friends with him. He got very, I know he was very close with Burgess Meredith. I mean, okay. they, they were good friends, and he loved him. And I think that's the thing. He just uh, would get a particular fondness for an actor, and mm-hmm. he would just decide to use him over and over again. And he, oh. there are a lot of actors that he does, especially the character actors. Also, right. I, I, I think I've said this a number of times. I'll say it once mm-hmm. again. Uh, being friends with a lot of actors because uh, he was in uh, Hollywood for 30 years before he yes. started uh, The Twilight mm-hmm. Zone. Um, yeah. A lot of them would come to him like Meredith and say, oh, I heard you're doing something on TV. I'll tell you what, you don't have to pay me. I want to be on it. Exactly, exactly. They just uh, would do it for him. Some of them did it for nothing. I mean, they just well, really liked, liked it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Sinatra thing, you know. Yeah. Sinatra had his group. Um, if anybody remembers um, Ed Wood, um, mm-hmm. not the greatest of um, directors, so to say, but he had his own um, cast that he put in different pictures he did. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was respected, and they just, you know, they, they flocked Hammer to him. Films. Right. That's right. Hammer Films mm-hmm. had their own... Um, um, yeah. And that's pretty much why he, um, well, you know, why you see a lot of them all the time, especially the character actors, Gerald Delavanti and various various actors that were in it over and over again. Hmm. So, Ed, oh, I am going to I'm going to re-edit the previous episode since I got the clips working again. I I got to put that laughter, laughter, happiness thing on. Oh, okay. So, all right, cool. <laughs> Ed, what did you what did you rate this episode? Can we go negative? <laughs> well, go ahead. Ahead. Maybe one good negative one, or negative five, whatever. No, I, I give it a, I give it a one. 
I give it a one. I, I wouldn't go any higher than that, though. Yeah, I mean, I've seen worse. I'm not going to, I can't give it a zero because I've seen worse, but. Yeah, you know, I have to. But uh, it's uh, it's no classic, that's for sure. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> I mean, no, no. Phoenix from New Jersey said Orson Welles, another one that had a group of people around. Oh, him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And didn't Alfred Hitchcock was the same way. Alfred Hitchcock, yep. Hitchcock had yep. actors and actresses that he, you know, was very close to, that he, uh, Tibby Hedren, you know, that he just liked using over and over again. Yeah, so I guess they have their favorites. <laughs> and blondes. He loved his blondes. And blondes. I'm not too sure about Tibby Hedren. I thought he, he wasn't his advances a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Over the line on some occasions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they he was he was in love with her. He really, According he to really. her book, she was in love with every actress he had on a, on set. I think he liked blonde he liked blondes and boobs. Yep. <laughs> he liked blondes and boobs. But anyway, I I'm going to say good, good good night, <laughs> good afternoon or whatever. Um um Hellhound is is Begging to go out. Well, we're about ready to 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 end this year. So, and Lynn, Lynn, when you're on the yeah. train, don't uh-huh. get off at Willoughby. Right. I will not get off at Willoughby. <laughs> no, we'll try not to jump off of that. And this clip, um, Cliftonville as well. I don't think you want to stop at Cliftonville. Exactly. Oh, I'll make sure. And 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 also not Centerville. Remember, a nice stop in a quiet town. Stop over in a quiet town. Centerville. Yeah. Well, you guys will remember it when you see it. <laughs> I remember it. You remember? Okay. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, we will see you again. We'll see everybody. Don't forget about us. Heath and Robert will be here with commentaries in the meantime. So Get on your calendar, take, people. We want you back. We want all we want nice, shiny faces back. back. Yep. So wish us luck. Goodbye, Seattle. And Goodbye, Seattle. Wish us luck, and we will see you again from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So bye-bye, every. Oh, and I forgot to mention, we're going to be doing to serve men. So we're getting going to Yay. get to do. Yay. Yes. All right. Yay. Good all time. Yes, yeah, a good classic. So we will be doing that one. So goodbye, everybody. Have a wonderful month, and I hope you guys miss us, because I'll miss you guys. See you in Philly, Philly. Felix, bye-bye. <laughs> Have a good trip. Thanks. Bye-bye, Thank everybody. Bye. And as we go out, we have a PSA from our favorite person, Rod Serling. So, goodbye, everybody. This is the Morgan family coming home from the lake. Ed and Marilyn have been married 12 years. That's Kelly, Sue, and Casey in the back seat. They've driven this road a dozen times before, and nothing ever happened. But today is different. Today, Ed will become a killer. And here's his weapon. Good old Ed Morgan. A mighty careful man in his own home. He can't imagine how anyone could have been so careless. Ed Morgan. Every man. Anyone who handles fire in any form is a potential killer. Anyone can start a fire and never even know it. Please be very careful with fire. Please. Only you can prevent forest fires. You are a bold and courageous person. Afraid of nothing.
High on a hilltop near your home, there stands a dilapidated old mansion. Some say the place is haunted, but you don't believe in such myths. One dark and stormy night, a light appears in the topmost window in the tower of the old house. You decide to investigate, and you never return. Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.